Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 reads that Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth all life and breath and all things, and have made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all faces of the earth, and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. And as I read that passage, every time I look at it, uh, I think about how Paul grieved, basically. Uh, He was disappointed to see people that were going down the wrong path. He was hurt. And he had a compassion that Christ would have had on these people that lived in Athens regarding what they were doing. They were uh, superstitious. They were religious, but yet they were ignorantly worshiping God. They didn't know. And so for all of us as Christians, Peter reminds us that we ought to be ready to give each man and woman an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within us. And recently I came across uh, a book that uh, speaks to the situation that we as a church have to face, we as a community have to face. So for those of us who love the Lord, we ought to be grieved when we see people uh, being misled and going down the wrong path. And the book that I'm referring to is called Unmasking the Jesus Myth. Unmasking the Jesus Myth by uh, Brother Stephen Bedard. And Brother Bedard is a pastor of the Queen Street Baptist Church, and he's also an apologist. He was once a former atheist. Um, he, he, he's a, a husband and a father. And we are grateful enough, and, and we thank God for him agreeing to be on the show today. Brother Bedard, how are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you for having me. Great. So my first question is, what was the reasoning or what motivated you to write on this subject concerning uh, the Jesus myth? Well, this is actually my second book on the subject. The first book I co-wrote with Stanley Porter, and it was called Unmasking the Pagan Christ. And the uh, basic reason I went into that, it actually emerged out of my pastoral ministry. I was pastoring at my former church in a little town, and it just so happened that 
in that same little town, there was an author uh, who was a well-known religious writer uh, here in Canada, had just written a book on the Jesus myth uh, called The Pagan Christ, and there he was claiming that uh, Jesus never existed Mm. and and a whole bunch of other things that were uh, absolutely uh, false. And people in my congregation uh, knew that I was... uh, a student, someone who was very interested in researching about the Bible. Right. And I really felt a, a pastoral need to bridge my uh, academic research to the, the needs of the local church. And so that's really how I ended up getting interested in this subject. I appreciate that. Now, if you can just unpackage for us, what is the Jesus myth? I know we ha- we have some listeners uh that that are, that are uh, listening to this radio show and may have never heard of the myth concerning the Jesus that we love. So what is, what is the Jesus myth? Yeah, the Jesus myth, sometimes it's called the, the Christ myth as well. There's basically two parts to it. The first is that Jesus never existed. And so they're not just saying that he wasn't the Christ or he wasn't the Son of God or didn't perform miracles or uh, didn't uh, uh, wasn't uh, resurrected from the dead or anything like that. They're actually saying that there was no Jesus. There was no Jesus, the son of Mary. Uh, there was. They would also move on to say that um, the disciples, uh, that they didn't exist, Peter, James, and John, uh, they were all um, myths as well. And uh, they try to point towards uh, what they see as weaknesses in the historical Record, And we'll get into that in a little bit. But the second part of it is that the Jesus that's found in the Gospels was actually drawn from pagan myths. And Mm. they're drawing especially from uh, Egyptian and Greek and some Roman mystery religions as well. Now, you don't necessarily have to have both parts of that. Uh, For example, uh, Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Uh, offers a form of the Jesus myth. Now, Dan Brown uh, keeps uh, historical Jesus as part of the story. That's an important part of his plot. But he also has his characters claiming that the Jesus that's found in our New Testament was really based upon these pagan myths. And every once in a while you'll find that uh, someone who is proclaiming the Jesus myth, they might back down and say, well, there might have been someone named Jesus, but we don't know anything about him, and anything that we do know is based upon these other mythologies. And so the two usually end up going together. So let me ask you this question. Uh, If the way that Dan Brown is depicting Jesus is not consistent uh, with the historicity that we have through the Bible and extra-biblical sources— how how are we as Christians when these type of movies come out uh, concerning uh, uh, Jesus? How should we respond to that? Well, the the first thing we got to do is start doing the fact checking. And in our age of the internet, it's never been easier. So in Dan Brown's book, he makes some wild claims about how many uh, alternative gospels there were out there. And it does not take much time to do a search and to find out uh, that he is actually wrong on those details. And you can go through, uh, because he provides a a list of all of the 
uh, all of the reasons why uh, he gives for these radical claims about Jesus. And you can just go right through the ri- uh, right through the list, and you'll quickly discover that uh, it's it's wrong. And we're being trained to do this anyways uh, in this age of, of fake news. Right. Uh, when something is put out there, we don't automatically just accept it. We got to do a search. We need to to find out uh, what the actual facts are. And as soon as we do that, it very quickly demonstrates that what they're saying is just completely false. Amen. Now, we as Christians uh, believe in the Bible and the accounts of the Bible as it relates to uh, dates, places, people, etc. And as it relates to uh, Christ, what evidence do we have outside of the Bible which would buttress our argument for historical Jesus? Well, we end up having very good evidence. This is one of the big differences between our historical Jesus and the other pagan myths that are out there. So if you wanted to do some checking uh, about, uh, say, uh, the Egyptian god Osiris or the uh, Greek god Dionysus, uh, just you would never be even be able to find out if there was a, a human person that was behind that because we, there's just nothing there. All there is is the mythology, and the myth- mythology is being written a long time after the su- supposed events were taking place. But when it comes to Jesus, we have a tremendous amount of evidence. And uh, people will immediately ask, uh, what do we have outside of the Bible, but I am not uh, in such a hurry to get past the Bible because there's no reason why we should discount the Bible as evidence. Uh, People will say it doesn't count as history because it belongs to a religious canon, that it belongs in the category of Scripture. But there's absolutely no reason why being placed as Scripture would deny any value when it comes to history. So within the Bible, we have the Gospels, and uh, work has been done on the Gospels to determine what kind of genre they are, and they basically belong to uh, a form of ancient biography. So it's not exactly the same as what a, a modern biography would be like, but it's very much like the biographies that the, uh, the later writer uh, Plutarch uh, who is writing maybe about 100 years later, uh, he, very similar to what he was writing. And for any other historical figure, if we had four different biographies, we would just be so happy because usually that does not happen. We're lucky if we have one biography. And if we do have that one biography, usually they're written hundreds of years after the person lived, whereas these biographies are our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were all written during the lifetime of the witnesses who, uh, who knew this Jesus. And so when they're writing these biographies, it would have been very easy for people to say, well, no, I, I lived in Jerusalem, or I lived in Galilee, and I know that those things didn't happen. But we don't have that, because the, the, uh, they are reporting accurately uh, what uh, actually took place. So, so the Gospels are very, very important. We should not uh, get rid of them. We also have Paul's letters, and it's very common for people who follow the Jesus myth uh, 
to say that Paul never talks about the historical Jesus, and that is completely false. That is not true at all. It is true that Paul spends most of his time talking about the glorified Christ, talking about uh, what Christ's work is right now, and then his return, and and those type of things, because that is the, the time in which Paul is writing. But he does quote Jesus a number of times. Uh, He also refers to some events in Jesus's life, including the Last Supper, which is found in 1 Corinthians. Actually, 1 Corinthians is is filled with information about Jesus, including the uh, witnesses to the resurrection, which I would include as part of Jesus' earthly ministry. So there is a lot there. And the the uh, letters of Paul were most likely written even before uh, the Gospels. And so we have some some uh, records that are going very, very early. So that by itself really would be enough, but there there is more. Uh, we do have uh, an account by uh, Josephus, and there's also some accounts uh, by a few Roman writers like Suetonius and Tacitus and Pliny the Younger, uh, that are also helpful for us. And there's a, a few others as well. But really, compared to most other ancient figures, we are rich in evidence that Jesus lived and existed. Appreciate the information. Uh, just a wealth of information uh, in this book that you have written. And everything you stated is in the book, Unmasking the Jesus Myth. Uh, we on air with Brother Stephen Bedard, the author of Unmasking the Jesus Myth. Uh, and for those of you listening, uh, this information is uh, beneficial for those of us who believe in sharing our faith and wanting every man and woman to have a relationship with the Christ. Uh, because in today's culture, you have skeptics who deny the authenticity and historicity of Jesus Christ. So, uh, Brother Bedard, uh, God has used him to help equip us so we can have a response to some of these challenging questions. So you mentioned uh, the works of of, of Josephus, and why is his contribution uh, so important to this topic? Well, when we look at the evidence for Jesus, we have to ask, what is it that we would expect to have? Uh, So sometimes people will say, well, we don't have... Uh, the Roman records, we don't have the court documents or anything like that. Well, no, but we don't have that for for anything. So what would we expect? Well, we would expect that we would have something from Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian who lived in the the second half of the first century. So he he would be born um, after Jesus had died, but his life would overlap a little bit with uh, the Apostle Paul and some of the other disciples. And uh, Josephus was a a Jew who was uh, involved in the revolts against Rome that took place between 67 and 70 AD, but he ended up getting captured by the Romans, and he ended up getting on their good side. And he wrote a number of books to explain Jewish beliefs to the Romans, because he saw himself really as an apologist, not as an apologist for Christianity, but an apologist for the Jews to try to demonstrate to the Romans uh, why things had happened, how the war had started. 
And in his book, and one of it, he one of the books that he did write was called The Antiquities of the Jews, and it's a, basically a history of uh, the Jewish people right from the beginning of creation to his time. And in that, he refers to a number of Jewish religious leaders and messiahs and other uh, important figures. And he speaks about Jesus himself. Now, he ha- there's actually three passages that are of interest to Christians. One is he talks about uh, John the Baptist. Another, he talks about James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, and describes him as the, the brother of Jesus. And then he has this other passage where he actually gives some information about Jesus. Now, there's a little bit of controversy about that. And again, people who follow the Jesus myth will be quick to say that that is a forgery, that it is something that Josephus never actually wrote originally. And there's just a little bit of a grain of truth to what they're saying. Because when you look at the passage, Josephus seems to say that Jesus is the Christ and that he was raised from the dead. And that's not what we would expect from a... Uh, Jewish historian who was not a follower of Jesus. However, Josephus scholars and historians have been able to reconstruct the passage and to see that Josephus really did uh, write something about Jesus. And it's just the bare facts, but that's exactly what we would expect from a Jewish historian who's not following Jesus. And there is some good evidence for this based on some writings by uh, later uh, Christian writers, but also there was an Arabic translation of this passage, which gives evidence that there was a version of it that was not quite so Christian as the one we have today. So really what happened later on, uh, even though Josephus had written something about Jesus, some well-meaning Christian thought that they could make it better by Christianizing it a little bit more, putting more emphasis on the resurrection, but it ended up just causing us a lot of trouble. But really, Josephus scholars, and I'm not talking uh, about evangelicals, I'm talking about just uh, generic academics, are confident that Josephus did say something about Jesus and that we can get back to his original version. Thank you so much for uh, that response. Uh, My last question deals with Um, those that argue that the information about Jesus came from other sources that you intimated before. What is uh, Mithraism? This is a uh, a mystery religion that uh, worshipped a a person named Mithras. And he has a, a long background. It actually goes back to Hinduism, to uh, another version uh, in Zoroastrianism, and then eventually comes to the Romans. And by that time, he doesn't look anything like the the Hindu version. And the reason why he is a popular comparison to Jesus is that uh, his religion was growing at the same time that early Christianity was growing. And there was a time there in the first couple of centuries where they were sort of neck and neck when it came to the the popularity. Uh, And 
some people have suggested that if things had gone a little bit differently, uh, that perhaps Mithraism could have been the religion of the Roman Empire and not Christianity. There are some things where there, there are some connections, but it's not about the Bible borrowing from, from Mithraism. So uh, there seems to be some traditions that perhaps Mithras, his birthday was December 25th or something close to that. And so Jesus mythicists will point at that and say, well, look, there it is. There's an example of Christians borrowing from Mithraism. However, the Bible never actually says that Jesus was born on December 25th. And we've known for a long time that probably what was going on there is that instead of the church telling the pagans that they could no longer have a party on that particular day, they decided to uh, change that celebration and to say, instead of celebrating Mithras, now you're going to celebrate Christ. And so they're, they're going to allow the people to continue to have their party, but now it's going to be a party for Jesus. Okay. And one of the reasons why we know that it, Christianity wasn't borrowing from Mithras is that the uh, written accounts we have of this religion actually come from a date after the Gospels were written. And this is a part of the uh, shoddy scholarship that's going on there, where they uh, are hoping that people will not look at the dates of when things were right, were written. And uh, it only takes a little bit of common sense to realize mm -hmm. that you can't borrow from something that was written after you wrote. But that's what these Jesus mythicists <laughs> are hoping that we won't notice. We thank you so much, Brother Badar, for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Uh, th this information is quite helpful in our evangelism and discipleship. And so we thank you for uh, coming on Sound Reasoning. And may the Lord continue to bless you and your ministry. And God bless you as well. Okay, we'll be in touch. Have a blessed day. That's Brother Stephen Bedard, uh, the author of Unmasking the Jesus Myth, also the author of Unmasking the Pagan Christ. And he's just sharing with us. Uh, the importance of knowing the truth regarding the history of Jesus Christ. And it's my hope that everyone that listens to this show is, uh, is, is edified and empowered to go forth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only sharing it, but being able to give each man and woman an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within you. May God bless you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. 
Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.